0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. It's been my joy to be able to speak. I didn't intend to get into a series. I'm not one of these sort of kind of serious pastors, as you get to know me. It's not as serious as what you think. But we've ended up, uh, we ended up really starting from uh, uh, something that the Lord put on my heart about three Sundays ago when, when we made the transition from the Passion Week... And then the Lord brought me back. This, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And there's a message, which is the first part of this series called the ninth blood group, which brought down a lot of, raised a lot of eyebrows. And I encourage you to watch that back on, online if you wish. And then we, we did another message then called concealed and revealed. All of them are about the new covenant, the new covenant. I want to bring this thing so true for you that you're standing on a firm foundation. Amen. And so we titled that message, Concealed and Revealed. And that was basically talking about the New Testament is concealed in the Old, and the Old is revealed in the New Testament. So that was according to Augustine. He's absolutely right. And so last week, we also went right back into the garden experience of Adam and Eve. This is the Bible's true story of the history of man. Our forefather Adam, Adam, who was in covenant relationship with God, decided that knowledge and science was a better route for him. And so he succumbed to the temptuous argument of the enemy when he said, you know, there's scientists and there's knowledgeists and there's argument. Who needs God? Science is going to sort it all out. That's not new, Mr. Dawkins. That happened back in the garden. Amen? Oh, we don't need God. You know, you can be as God, knowing good from evil. So you you, you can learn knowledge. And so human civilization has just been self-empowered, not Holy Spirit-empowered, to pursue happiness, life, and liberty through the best of a natural mind. And the best of a natural mind is only a natural mind. Amen. You can see that in the greatest experiment that has ever existed, you could say, in the, in the, United, in the United States of America, a constitution that seemed flawless. But it was still the best of a natural mind. No matter how close it is to the Bible standards, it's still not the word of God, amen. And so men are finding that even the best systems that other men have laid out over the centuries, all of them have fallen short of the glory of God. And all of them have never been able to bring the utopia and never will, friends, the nature of man so distorted at its very, very core. And so I want to read you a, a little bit this morning because my title for this part three is The Mystery That Is Hid From Ages, and you find it in the book of Colossians. I'm going to read you just a few leading verses in because... it. Because I love these verses, okay? If there's ever a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon ever calls to your door, you just bring this to them because it just bats them back out the door when they say that Jesus is not God. This is speaking of Christ from verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Because by him... Everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. What an awesome, what an awesome reading. Hallelujah. If that doesn't just cause you to get up off your couch right now and raise your hands to heaven, I don't know what will, because this is phenomenal truth here from the Apostle Paul. He is also the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might, he might come to have first place in everything. For, ple- for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Hallelujah. Jumping down to verse 25. And I have, this is Paul speaking now, I have become its minister according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. The mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Hallelujah. The mystery that was hidden from generations, friends, and from ages, and now is revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to those among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? About a render. Which is Christ and in you the hope of glory? You understand? Which is Christ and in you the hope of glory? Praise God this morning. And so when we begin to see here in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is starting to draw the dots together for a Jewish and a Gentile church. That's what he has to do. Pastor Nick has to do 2,000 plus years later because the reality is that we need to understand, Jesus said it, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It will bring you into liberty. I said in the first introduction message here that so many Christians are in bondage, and they're only in bondage in their mind. They have been set free in the spirit, friends. As a man, take it so he acts. As a man thinks his station is or his position is, so he behaves. And so, friends, the Holy Scriptures are bringing you to the reality as how God sees you now that Christ has done the finished work. Okay, and that's the battle of faith then because when you see this, when you get a revelation of this, the battle is to live in that place and to simply accept it. And then the Holy Spirit's part of the covenant is to bring you the victories of Christ in every flesh area that is seemingly defeated. The Holy Spirit brings victory. Amen. It has to be that way. If it's any other way, it's another form of Darwinian Christianity. Only the strong and only the intellectual and only the virtuous can really have a standing before God. And therefore, they could make a boast before God and stand up in the house of God one day and say say something like this. I thank you, God, that you have not made me like other men, for I tithe and I gave and I'm here and I'm there. You know the story. Jesus talked that parable about two men who came into that temple to pray one being a Pharisee who prayed such an nauseating prayer of self-righteous behavior, and the other a tax collector who could not even raise his eyes to the heaven, such as us, the scripture says. Not many of you came from noble backgrounds. Not many of you came from the right side of tongue, but it pleased the Father to reveal his Son in you and in me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it, you know, before we even get on to the message, come on, agree with me this, this morning. It is a great salvation, a great salvation. And so Paul is beginning to draw the dots that this mystery. And so when we looked at our Old Testament the last number of weeks, it's been something I find gripping again. I know it many years, but I just find the, the, the re-looking and examination of the Word of God lights fires deep within me that you know, you know, keeps that spark going. And we begin to look right back at the very first Adam. As I said, the father of us all, and the fall of man, and we saw how God in the garden in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen. Every Christian knows John three sixteen. Now you should also know John three fifteen, uh, uh, Genesis three fifteen. There should be cardinal scriptures in your thinking because it is God prophesying and preaching a gospel message that He was going to send a seed into the world that would crush the devil. So we know it as the proto-evangelium, the first gospel preached. And from there, we go to chapter 5 of Genesis, just a couple of chapters up, and we see the genealogy. We saw that last week in the genealogies, that God even announces the plan of salvation through the genealogy of the names of all the patriarchs of that time. And so it's whispered, friends, the mystery that is hid from ages. Jesus in Matthew's gospel said to the Pharisees of his time, you search the scriptures, in them you think you find life, but they testify of me. Woo! Hallelujah! Psalm 40, verse 7, Hebrews 10, verse 7, the same uh, quotation by the Apostle Paul later on in the New Testament from the same psalm. He says, behold, I am revealed in the volume of the book, for it is written of me. And so now, friends, with that lens in mind, we read our Bible. You see, whatever lens you bring will distort the, the, the truth of God's word or enhance it for you. And so when we understand that Christ is the mystery that we can look back with a new covenant last and we begin to find the types. And then we move from Genesis chapter 5 to Genesis 15 and we saw the incredible story of Abraham and that triunity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit making covenant while uh, Abraham was asleep. Long lay the world, friends, in sin and in sleep and in error pining. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't even aware of it in a in a in a cave on the side of a slopey hill in bethlehem announced to some shepherds mining sheep while the world was sleeping friends in he came hallelujah the mystery hid from ages All the way through the the Old Testament, every type was only a type, friends. Joshua, the Hebrew for Jesus, a type of deliverer, but could never take away the sins of Israel. Moses, the same. David, a great king, but oh man, so speckled himself with failure. But yet something about the characteristic and the nature of salvation was being revealed. And this is the whole scripture. The reason why the history, the reason why it's there, friends, is because we need to understand that when God was dealing with the likes of us, he was dealing with something very complicated. Amen. We are not a simple creation, friends. We are a unique creation. The only created being that can stand on two feet in the presence of God as a human being, friends. The only, only created a thing in this world that can have interaction with God is us, friends. Given a capability to have face-to-face encounters with God. Given and made to enjoy the presence of God. Given and made and given promises and opportunities to come into the presence of God. And so, friends, we are a very unique being. We have free will, free agency. We have this uh, inward built spirituality. And don't try to deny it, you atheists this morning listening to me. Don't try to espouse all your nonsense arguments. In the core of every man, there's a cry for God. You might try to rationalize it away and do your reductionist theologies or science, science friends, but I want to tell you, it still will not warm you on a cold night. You can paint your picture and you can paint a fire in it, but that won't light, that won't keep you warm when the cold of death comes upon you. And all your arguments, friends, because there is only one that can bring his heat and his power to bear upon your life, the mystery that is hid from ages. And so as we journey into the scriptures, and I love journeying because I think as you begin to find what the lens of understanding is, when you begin to find what the lens of interpretation is, when you begin to see that God is announcing there's only going to be one seed, not like many seeds, but one. And of course, we saw that again in Galatians 3.16. Paul says, not as many seeds, but one seed, and that seed was Christ. And again, Paul here in Colossians, the mystery that is hid from ages. And so, as we said a few weeks ago, it's, the Bible theological speak really, are the terms that it uses, is words like covenant. And I need to go back again, because you need to get this into your very fiber as a Christian. It's important to have the right understanding. It's important to have a defence for what you believe in, not just for them out there, friends, but for them, for that flesh that's in here. Do you understand? Because uh, you know our own inquiring intellect is going to need some answers. Otherwise, it will try to even undermine the grace of God in your life. And I put it to you, that's probably the greatest area of failure in people's lives. It's not so much the devil; he's there. Don't worry. In the world, we know all that, and they're, they're, they're formidable foes, friends. But it's that old nature. That old Adamic mind that thinks I can work it out myself. Do you understand? That's the beast that needs to be tamed. Amen. That's the very thing that is always coming up behind to grab you. Always looking over. Don't be looking for the devil, friends. That's why you have to reckon that nature dead. And you can only do it if you understand the legal reason why you can do it. Amen. You can absolutely say, I will not go there anymore because I know what the word of God says, amen. And so you need to have that as a Christian. it will give you incredible confidence in the gospel. It will give you confidence in speaking to men and women about God. And so this mystery hit from ages. And so we have this trans, transmission of the uh, nature of Adam, the fallen nature into every species. Adam brought it in, friends. He really did. But thanks be to God, Romans, the book of Romans tells us there's a second Adam. Hallelujah. The first Adam brought death. But the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, the second Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is the message of the gospel. So God says, okay, that first Adam, and interesting when you actually analyze Genesis 3.15 and look at some of the better um, commentators on Genesis 3.15, they say it denotes When God says, I'm going to send the seed of a woman that will crush your head, it's denoting something that's above human, yet human. Because we see that a perfect, innocent human being fell foul and fell when tested. So why would another human being be any better than Adam? And so there's something implicit even in the text. And again, I I don't have time to go in, but you're going to have to trust your dear old pastor here. I'm not spitballing this morning. I've done a little bit of work in this in the past. It is inferred in that scripture that God in the sort of announcing of this man, it's going to be man, but it's going to be more than a man. Hallelujah. There's going to be an exception to the rule. There's going to be this change that has never happened. And so before he is revealed... God has to deal with the ongoing pride issue of every man because we believe that we've broke it, so we believe we can fix it. So that we can fix it took a long, long time, friends. And so we see that God speaks his covenants. Covenants to engage with God was on the basis of covenant relationship. And that's what it was. You were created being, given responsibilities, given free agency, but also understanding that there was love, but also relationship. Uh, You know, when you deal with your mother and father, there's love there, but there's also a relationship. There's also a a, a line you should never step over when you're dealing with your parents. There's never a line of presumption or, 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 you know, and so when you're dealing with God himself, it is exactly the same. And covenants is a contractual agreement between two or more parties. Brit is the... Not Brit, because I'm sitting in front of two Brits down there. Berit is the Hebrew word for covenant. Amen. (laughs) Sorry, John. And sorry, Catherine. But Berit is the Hebrew word for covenant. And it's a contract between two people. And so for God, before he's going to announce this great covenant of covenants, the new covenant, you know, it's like showing pearls before swine. You know, the reality is that Adam and his offspring are so convinced that they can breach the gap between God through religious behaviour, through compliance and ritual and other things, and through slow sort of uh, you know evolving into a better. So they agreed this covenant, this Mosaic covenant. Effectively, the Old Testament is the Mosaic covenant, and that's that, that's those works that they have to produce. And if they produce those works in keeping, then God will meet his side of covenant and of course give them rain and and fight their enemies and you know provide life for them as he said and step and be their god and of course we know that history has shown and history always shows it doesn't matter whether it's four thousand plus years ago back in in the in the sinai desert friends with a group of nomadic people three and a half million of them who have the presence of god the nature of man is the same the nature of man is that man cannot save himself Impossible. And so the whole understanding is that God is only going to deal with man. My spirit will not always strive with man. God will only deal with man up to a point. Up to the point of him producing his salvation. And then he says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. He announces him. And so there is this transition that all of a sudden this second Adam is going to go into a covenant relationship with god the second adam as we know this uh, the hymn writer says it is mystery all i love it the immortal dies who can explore his strange design this exception to the rule this god man he shall call his name jesus you should call his name emmanuel for he shall save his people god with you you should call his name jesus because he will save his people from their sin the announcings, even over his name, the peculiarities of it, the, the incredible um, you know, the mysteries that were attached even to this babe of Bethlehem are quite amazing, friends. And so you can even imagine, and I know I'm going several directions, but you're all long enough in the two to be able to join some of these dots together. It must have been amazing for Mary, his mother. I mean, she's hearing things from the angel. You know, she's, you, you should call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And she said, goodness, that's skirting the edge of orthodoxy, you know I'm, I'm going to call, you know, my, my son has got a name called Emmanuel, you know uh, look, uh, you, uh, that's her- heresy to the Jew of course, you know that's, 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 that's borderline stone the whole family, and so you can imagine these incredible announcements when, when the Christ child was born, of course, and then as he begins to draw his titles to himself at the right time at the leading of the spirit and begins to prepare that journey to the cross of course, then all hell breaks loose Every bit of flesh of Israel rises up against him. Every demonic power will go there another time. But anyhow, we have this journey of Israel. This journey um, for, for, for and, and the journey takes. And I believe, friends, that the, the time you've got is perfect. You know, a lot of people say, you know, why didn't he step in earlier? You know, well, I've got to give you some ideas why he didn't step in earlier before I go into the new covenant. And why didn't he step in later? You know, right up to the time of Jesus, the estimate, anthropologists and Christians alike, if you go to Um, answers in genesis and places like that they estimate that from the time of noah right up to the time of jesus that one billion people lived and died but from the time of jesus until today 110 billion people lived and lived and died at the time of jesus the bible says at the right time christ came forth At the right time, the Roman roads were being established. Ways of bringing that gospel message to to what was a a very medieval world, a very dangerous world. A common language was being formed for the majority of the civilized world at that time under the Greek Empire. It's again, it, it, it always entertains me when I find a lot of Christians going back to the Hebrew roots, and I'm not against studying Hebrew. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against it, the fact that the, the scripture started here. Someone's smiling at me this morning. Don't press the red button, Pastor Nick. But here we go, anyhow. But people who boast all things Jewish, I always say, isn't it interesting that God give us the New Testament in Greek? Because it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. It's not about nationalism. It's not about infused nationalism with religion. It's not about a nationalism where by where force rule, friends. There's no virtue in force rule. It's through conversion. It's through the laying down of free will. Because you're absolutely convinced my free will is only going to get me into trouble. Hallelujah. Uh, there's this, this, this virtuous side of going to the doorpost and being pierced through the ear out of that free will giving because I love my master. Why? Because he first loved me. And so there's this transition in the scripture. That begins to challenge uh, the very core of man's ability to make his, his bargain with God or his arrangement with God. The Jews became very sophisticated. They are a very bright people to them, are the patriarchs to them, are the prophets to them, are the scriptures. We owe so much to Israel. I believe in praying for the priests of Jerusalem. I believe that God's not finished with Israel yet. I believe he's going to come back and bring a mighty revival to that land. But I believe that salvation is only in one name. Hallelujah. And there's only one body and one church. And every Jew that gets saved comes into that body. Amen. Every Gentile the same because he made a two into one new man. Praise God. So much here. There's so much richness as we look at this this morning. And so the, you have, this, you have this, uh, this, this belief generation to generation, ages to ages, as Paul said. Every generation thinking that it can outdo the one before it. And it's the truth, friends. You've heard me say it many times. I always thought I was, would rear my children better than my parents. Because, oh, they didn't see everything went on. And I'm going to see everything goes on. My kids, of course. I'm going to discipline it like the, like, like, like the oracle, you know, and, and the all-seeing eye. And then I have four boys, and it's easier said than done. And then I end up like Elijah. You ever worry about Elijah up in Mount Carmel? Elijah's up in Mount Carmel. You know that great story. And, you know, the... Prophets of Baal and Asherah are there. And there's this great competition goes on. Whichever God answers by fire, let him be God. The entire nation has been summoned. It's this massive event, friends. I was actually in that very spot where they believed the fire came down in Mount Carmel many years ago. Right next to Megiddo Valley, actually it is. And it's massive. So they said the whole nation was assembled. This huge contest. And of course we know the outcome. Baal and all them didn't produce any fire. Because religion has no fire. Religion has no power. It's just got pomp and ceremony. And when it's all over, you're back smoking and drinking and sleeping around, and you know, all those vices that you just hide and cloak, and cloak away are just booming out of you again. Religion is the most dangerous thing on this planet, in my opinion, because it, all it is is suppresses and makes it go underground, as we saw for years, all those children that were being abused. And God, forgive me, I'm going off on a rant this morning, but it's important that we don't build another religion when we start preaching the gospel. I hope you can say I'm into that. We should have learned from history, we should have learned from the Jews. And so we have Elijah there, and he calls down the fire, and it's phenomenal. Of course, consumes everything—stones, water, the whole lot. Sacrifice, everything is gone. But within minutes, he gets a report that Jezebel says, "I'm going to cut your head off by this day tomorrow." And he runs, and he runs to the back of the end of a desert, and is exhausted. And then, of course, he wakes up, and the Lord appears to him. And the very, the very first thing he says to the Lord—check it out in Second Kings. The very first thing, First Kings, sorry. The very first thing he says, not the second thing. He says this, I am no better than my fathers. Isn't that telling? I'm sure he was up in Mount Carmel thinking, wow, Samuel never did that. <laughs> I mean, Samuel was good. Don't get me wrong. He was a great prophet of the Lord. But the whole nation of Israel turned on one event. It was a mighty... I'm sure there's something in him thinking he's better than his forefathers. And actually, the fact and so he begins to see, I am no better. That's what the law was to produce, friends. I am no better than my forefathers. I'm no worse than the meter. Instead of these people going around bugling how bad this generation is, I'm telling you one thing, friends, they were every bit as bad back in the 60s. The same. Society had its easier ways to hide it. They didn't have the internet to blatant it out. Had they, they would have been exactly the same. Because the nature of men and women is the same. Also, when you go back and read your Bo- Fox's Book of Martyrs, they weren't any better than you either. It was God in them. It was Christ in them. Yes. Hallelujah! God took ordinary fallen people and through His power made them great. Amen. That's why they stood the test of t- t- time, friends. Went into the den of lions, were sawn and sunder. Th- The goods were confiscated. Why? Because they were more virtuous than us. They were just a better citizen back then. Oh, back in the 17th century, that's the apex of human behavior. No, friends, no, friends. I love Oliver Cromwell. I love the Puritan writers. But they did some atrocities as well that I would never stand. But including Mr. Luther, including the Anabaptists, including them all, friends. It's not about us. It's about him. The gospel infused in the Christian. And so Israel had to learn this because they all believed until of course they had exhausted centuries of trying to refine themselves through you know to better compliance to the torah and to the law, to the law of Moses, and of course they had ended up, as I said, with 613 bylaws to box in the human flesh. God only knows where they've got to today. If they were able to rewrite the rabbis and add it in, if Ezra was still around, he'd probably be up to eight or nine hundred. I would imagine at this stage. You know, don't buy the internet. Don't look at that. Put um, put, spy- put watch gear on your internet. Put oh, I'm not against that sort of stuff, friends, because you don't want the birds resting in your hair. But what I'm saying, you can never. Box out the manifestations of the sinful nature, and so I want to bring you to the covenant understanding that God exhausted covenants with men, exhausted them. None of them kept them. David didn't keep his covenant. They all broke their covenants. They all broke their part of the deal. Do you understand? And that's why he said, I'm going to do a new covenant, not like the old covenant that I made with your parents, your forefathers, even though I was a god to them, you know, even though I was good to them. They broke the covenant every time. And of course, we know that Paul writes to us and he tells us that that old covenant was, was basically a schoolmaster. Interesting term he uses. The old covenant was there to frustrate you. The old covenant there was to really test your false premise about yourself. You know, when I, when I listen to a lot, of, and I do listen a lot to um, political thinkers as regards philosophy more than politics, and I listen to a lot of people on the left, you know, the, the communist and the socialist sort of arguments, and, and they seem so noble, you know, and, and I like the nobility because it's in right in line with what we believe as Christians. We should share. We should love. We shouldn't dominate. We, should, we, we shouldn't discriminate. All these absolutely right. But what they do, Andy, is that they underestimate... The power of the human nature. And they overestimate its virtue. Wow, man. If you underestimate the power of that sinful nature and overestimate your virtue, my friends, you are on a dark road to collision and road to nowhere. And of course, the entire Old Testament was that schoolmaster to show the Jews, it was like that plumb line, how crooked you'd become, how off, how leaning how licentious in one way, how legalistic in another way. And so covenants ran their course. And God knew the words, of course, because we know from, from Revelation that John sees a lamb that has been slain as before the foundation of the world. Salvation was not reaction. Salvation was a plan. Salvation was always in the heart of God. And so in the preparation, at the right time, Christ is revealed. But I want to share the fundamental difference I've got a few minutes left. A fundamental difference that you need to grasp this morning, and I'm going to bring you there on into this, what we call the servant songs. Now, you say, that's fine, Pastor. That, is, that's, that's, that sounds very plausible, because it is very plausible, but it's it scriptural. And, and, of course, it's not trying to just plan out some sort of new way of looking at the gospel. I believe this absolutely is the gospel. There's, there's no other gospel. And actually, that. I heartily believe that if the new covenant isn't true, then salvation is a myth. That God's just playing with us. And if you're going to die, make sure you die in the middle of a rapturous worship um, before the announcements start. And then you say, oh, they're going on too long, or they're boring, or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden there's criticism and ill in your heart, and you're imputed sin to you by God, you know. Or before the preacher comes up, because you might love him at the beginning and hate him at the end, you know. So, uh, uh, praise God. Did my lights just get brighter? god bless you amen they should be hiding me not shining on me but anyway so i want i want to bring you because every covenant in the bible up to the new covenant is a covenant made between either nation israel and god are individuals in god and they're on contract but the new covenant is different the new covenant is not like that the new covenant is going to be between god and christ all of a sudden, there's going to be a parking of humanity to the sidelines to watch on. I mean, watching on this incredible drama being carried forth for our benefit. Where by the Bible says, I looked for a man among them that would stand in the gap on behalf of the people and I found 50. No. I found 10. Should I even find two righteous, I will not destroy Sodom. He could find known friends. I look for one man. Up, so Isaiah says his own righteousness he put on as a breastplate and zeal for his house, his own self. The Lord himself says, I'm going to come down. And I'm going to come down in a specific way as a God man. I'm going to leave the eternity past. And I'm going to be framed and constituted in the body of a real man. And so the kenosis of the scriptures, the emptying of his glory and his prerogative and humbling himself into the, into the body, uh, the, not just going into body, but John in chapter one of his gospel says that the word became flesh. It's, it's mind-boggling. I understand anyone watching this morning saying that stretch, I, I find that hard to believe. So do I, friends, but that's the written reality here. Not only that, when you come to believe in it, it transforms your life. It's the biggest miracle. You can take everything from Genesis to Revelation and every miracle in between it. The creation of the world and the deliverance of the Jews and every miracle of Christ and every raising of the dead and every great proclamation, every great feeding and watering of people and civilizations, friend. And put them all together, it's like this compared to the Incarnation. Because something very special is happening. A change is happening. A new covenant in my blood And I want to bring you, because in the the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is known as the book of the Bible. That's what it's commonly known as, actually. Because the book of Isaiah has got 66 chapters. Your entire Bible has got 66 books. And somewhere around the 34th, in around the midway point, it moves from its emphasis, emphasis on old covenant understanding. And every major doctrine in the New Testament is found in the book of Isaiah. It's the most fascinating book and actually that is enri- it's, an, it's such an enriching book prophetic book speaks to every generation and speaks to ultimate generation and it's an amazing because in there there is four songs known as the four servants songs of isaiah isaiah chapter 42 49 50 and 53. of course you know we we all as christians immediately. That 53, of course, is one of them. You know, we all, because we quote it all the time, don't we? we? We quote, you know, he was despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, you know, who believed our report. I mean, we, we, we every breaking of bread is read out through pulpits. So we all know that Isaiah 53 is talking of Christ. And so there's, but the Jews struggled with this because... I mean, obviously, they, you, you could say the 11th century Jews, particularly, the, you know, the, the Miseric Jews, they, they really struggled because they, they wouldn't give in. They wouldn't give in to the fact that these scriptures talk of Christ. So they try to, they, they try to interpret these four servant songs to make a fit nation Israel. Well, that's a bit of an exegesical leap and mumbo-jumbo because when you read Isaiah 53, all of a sudden, and so, you know, and for us Christians, as I said, reading from Colossians chapter 1, Christ, the mystery hit from ages and generations, quoting, I'm revealing the volume of the book, quoting Jesus in Matthew's gospel, these speak of me. Then, of course, Isaiah 42 is quoted in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, directly of Christ. So now, Pastor Nick, I'm not extrapolating. I'm not telling a yarn here. I'm not exaggerating the scriptures. I'm not trying to make it say something different than what it says. I'm not trying to put it on and bring a unique interpretation when the Bible itself is quoted of Christ in the Matthew's gospel. So chapter 42, if you have a Bible, turn very quickly. I just want to leave some of these thoughts with you, and uh, I think they will really bless your heart. So it's called the Servant Songs, the Four Servant Songs. Isaiah 42, I'm going to read there. I'm going to just bring you into it. I want to walk you into it, okay? It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. This is God. Now, I remember when another pastor shared this with me. He said, you know what? He said, I'm, I'm convinced that this is, a, this is a conversation that happened in eternity past, that either through a supernatural work of the Spirit that Isaiah was privy to, Whether he was taken back in time, whether there was a DVD left for him, should you want to take this message, Uh, but it was self-destruct after 10 minutes or whatever, mission impossible, you know. But there's something, because this is an eternal, these are the words of God the Father, speaking of God the Son and speaking to God the Son. So it's fascinating so you have to you start you start saying hold on a second so if if the whole word word reveals jesus if it's spoken of him if he's the mystery hid from ages and the servant songs are quoted of him already at least two of them we know are the other two of him as well and if they be what do they say to us and this is a heavenly conversation this is this is god speaking this is my servant i strengthen him this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased we remember that in the new testament friends this is my chosen one. I delight in him. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not pick out a small he will not put out a smouldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he's established justice on the earth. This is God announcing his servant, he's announcing Christ. The islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God says, the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives bread to the people on it and life to those who walk on it. Verse six, God is now speaking to Christ. God the Father is speaking to Christ in eternity past. I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold your hand, Jesus, and I will keep you, and I will make you a covenant for the people hallelujah this is the word of the lord this morning a covenant for the people a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeons and to those sitting in darkness from the prison house i am yahweh that is my name i will not give my glory to another i want you to remember that i will not give my glory to another no man will stand in my presence and say i'm here today on my own merits I'm here because I prayed more, read more, did more. Oh, I'm telling you, don't touch the glory, friends. Christian, don't touch the glory. Because that's when you get the cat of nine tails. That's when you really start to feel the pressure from God. When somehow we think that we have mastered the the, 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 the the commands of God and the practices of God and in our own strength somehow have a, have a righteousness derived from the law of friends, derived from our behavior, and that is falsical. And we need to understand that because it's so subtle. It creeps into our vocabulary. It creeps into our, our economies of thinking. It creeps into our value system that we pass on to our children. And so we constantly need reformation. The reformation was not 1517. The reformation is everything. Every single day I get up and remind myself that Christ made a covenant with the Father. It's powerful, friends. I remind myself that I don't walk in my merits today or my righteousness. I don't stand because I am a goody two-shoes or I'm better than anyone. I'm better than nobody. And I'm worse than nobody. I'm just the same as everybody. Needing a Savior. And Christ is announced here as the servant. Hallelujah. We won't touch his glory. And so he is the covenant, the covenant maker, the covenant keeper, the covenant itself. Where are you and I then? Well, let me get to you and I later on. We are slowly from these pages being pushed out to the margins. It's as if God is saying, well, hold on. I've given you nearly 4,000 years of opportunity to walk with me. I've given you covenant after covenant that you broke. I've given you my physical presence I've shown my power to you my provision to you my covenant but you keep on breaking it Do you not see something here Is there not something beginning to is the penny begin to drop with you You have no ability to walk in covenant with me Yet I desire friendship with you And so I will make a way I saw no man But man need to be convinced of that. Oh, you know, because I've heard it so many times. Oh, Pastor Nick. Oh, those born-againers, they need Jesus. You know, they need that stick to lean on. As I said last week, no, no, we don't need any stick to lean on. We need a rock to stand on. If you just give me a stick to lean on, that'll break. Like everything else, I'll break it or misuse it, friends. But give me a rock that is higher than I. And so that's been revealed in the pages. So that's Isaiah 42. Travel with me to Isaiah 49. These are the, the building. I'm not going in. I'm just giving you a taster. If you love truth, if you're theological this morning, because I, I, I was an ordained minister for many years, and I always thought that I, somehow I made a covenant with God in the new covenant. God help me. That's all I can say now. If that would be, be true, God help you. But we have someone else, a second Adam. Hallelujah. The first Adam brought death. The second one became a life-giving spirit. And on the merits of what he does, I will not touch his glory. I won't touch his glory. I won't touch it, friends. People say about Cork Church, and rightly so. There's an authority here, because there is. There's a sense of the presence of God when we meet together. There is. Why? Because we watch each other, not to touch the glory. You're not here to boast of a man. You won't be hearing someone say, I climbed the hill of the Lord. I got clean hands today. No, no, I am what I am by the grace of God. And you are what you, you are by the grace of God, should you yield yourself to the Lord. So Isaiah 49 Won't read at all good to read you a couple of verses from verse 8. This is what the Lord says. I love it. I will answer you in a time of favor. I will help you in the day of salvation. Don't you just love that when the angels came to strengthen him? Don't you love it? They came and strengthened him. I will keep you, I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people. To restore the land, to make them to make them process. Sorry, possess the desolate inheritance. Saying to the prisoners, come out. And those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Let me bring you to chapter 50. Because this is going to nail you this morning. And I have a further message on this, which we'll be doing in a couple of weeks' time. Nice to announce that next week we have a phenomenal morning for you. Uh, this is my story morning. I'm looking forward to that. And then after that, we have a guest speaker. But after that, friends, I'm going to bring you, I I think, an augmenting message that will really help you here. Isaiah chapter 50 is also the third of the servant songs. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's divorce certificate that I used to send her away? In other words, I didn't give her a certificate and I didn't send her away. God is saying, you're saying that to me, that I pushed you away because you committed one sin too many and I, I divorced you. I hate divorces, the Lord. I don't push you away. That's not how it works here. If anybody walks out of this relationship, it's you, not him. Isn't that amazing? So don't you ever blame that God has walked away from you. What happens is that you have let sin so hard in your heart, you've walked away from him. And how often we've done that. I'm going to jump down to verse 4 because of time, but I want you to read that later on because it's it's God speaking, of course, to Israel and announcing then that Christ, the obedient servant, from from verse 4. Now, this is Jesus speaking. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed. Never a man spoke as this man spoke. To know how to sustain the weary with a word. (laughs) Hallelujah. Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you Shabbat, the real rest. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. He got up a long time before it was day, the scripture said, to pray. Friends, if you can't read Christ here, you're missing. Oh, I think, Pastor Nick, you're you're just... You're just kind of making it fit, you know. You really are. You know, it's nice, but it's not really where it's going, is it? The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Not my will, but Thou be done. I gave my back to those who beat me. Oh, maybe it is Christ. My cheeks to those who tore up my beard. I did not hide my face from scorning and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. (laughs) Is there anybody out there in that world going to defy that this is not the Christ? This is not the covenant being enacted? I have set my face like a flint to know I will not be put to shame. The one who justifies me is near. Who will contend with me? In other ways, who will compare himself to me? Knowing that he set his face like a flint, Knowing that he stepped in as the God man, made the covenant with the Father. Are you going to try to add to that? Are you going to try to contend or compare yourself to that? Are you going to try to say, that's lovely, Jesus? But look what I can do, the two step. Really? Look what I can do. I can help all ladies' cross. I can do more Bible reading. I can give more money. I can give my body to be burned. But you have not love, and love is Christ, as we know from Corinthians, there's no other because God is love and love. And Jesus is God. What are you going to say? Are you going to add to this? How we touch the glory in modern Christianity and God doesn't come down and kick us all It's nothing but his love and grace, friends. In the light of what his son... Can you imagine if it was your son at that cross? Brother Patrick last week talked about his son and he saw the vials of blood being taken out of his arm and it moved him to tears. But his son... My cheeks, they tore up my beard. I did not hide my face from the scorn and the spitting. The Lord will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Verse 8, the one who justifies me is near, who will compare himself to me. Let's keep going. Let us confront each other. Oh, you want to read the wording here. If you think you can stand up here on your merits, God says, Jesus said, let's confront each other here. Who has a case against me? This is the covenant making Christ friends. Let him come. I want to hear it. In truth, the Lord will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment. And a moth will devour them. But I want to leave you with these verses here because I think they're incredibly t- telling. we move down. Who among you? And then, so there's a consolation coming in here from the Savior. Who among you fears the Lord listening to his, the, ser- the voice of his servants? Who among you walks in darkness? In other words, because you listen to the voice of the servant, you don't walk in darkness. See, the, the scripture doesn't, you, you, the dynamics of the voice is not brought in here. You have to understand the context. When you understand the context, you get the, the, the grammar come, start flowing from you. There's an English word, I'm trying to reach for it, but there's a term for it. Uh, I'll get it later on, maybe next week, but I know the term somewhere, it's deep inside me. Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? In other words, if you fear the Lord, listen to the voice of his servant. You don't walk in darkness. You don't have no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and let him lean in his God. That's what God would say to you this morning. You have light, friends, because you are his But I want to leave this caution verse because these are the covenant scriptures that say Christ is the covenant. Christ makes a legal contract with God. Christ executes that contract for God. He says, don't touch the glory. Don't try to add to my cross. Don't try to take away from my cross. And he gives us the most stark warning here in verse 11. Look, all of you who who kindle the fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, who walk in the light of your own fire, that you have lit... Oh, yeah, you know, it's great what Jesus did, but look what I've done. That's what he said. For all of you who try to light your own fire, who somehow try to come up to the water level, to compare yourself and somehow add to the work of his grace and his power, this is what you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Every Christian that adds to the work of God's grace is a tormented Christian. You might be going to heaven, but you're tormented because your thinking is wrong. You're tormented because you haven't done enough good works so or you've done some bad works. So you don't know how to reconcile either of them. Your thinking is about your good deeds and your bad deeds. And it's got nothing to do with your good or your bad. It's got to do with your trusting in him. If you go to your New Testament, thank you guys. I'm going to come and sing a song. We're nearly finished. If you go to your New Testament, it's the most incredible thing, friends, because you, you don't see Jesus asking you to do anything. He doesn't ask you to do. That's all the old covenant. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Do this and live. Do, 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 do. Loads of do, do's there. Jesus says, believe. Believe. He changes the whole vocabulary as you read your Gospels. All of a sudden, he announces, it's all about me, but I just need you to believe me. If you believe me, I will send a supernatural. I, through my merits, will light the fire for you. Fire, of course, is the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? I will send the power of It's all about faith versus unbelief, friends. The battle for you and me now, friends, is the battle to believe him, that he stands and ever lives to make intercession for us. <laughs> Doesn't it start to make sense now about the covenant? Does it not make sense when Jesus walked those dusty streets and speaks out loud for the hearing of his disciples and he says, Father, all that you've asked me to do, I've done. I wonder what that was. That was the covenant. To walk in obedience, to go through baptism, to walk humbly, to go into a desert place, to be tempted by the devil. All this was the plan of God, where the first Adam didn't walk in obedience, where the first Adam fell at the first hurdle, the second Adam walked in total obedience. And after walking a life of obedience before the Lord, you can come and gather behind me, folks, there's no problem. As, as, he, as, he, as he walked out that life of obedience to the Lord, and that obedience led him to the propitiation, which is the satisfying the justice of God for sin, by going to the cross, friends. What a great salvation. There is nothing more powerful than the covenant of grace, friends. There's nothing more far-reaching. When we used to sing it in our theologies, I think people of yesteryear had a greater grasp of it when they said, there's nothing left for me to do. And Jesus did it all. Oh, I'm telling you, friends, when you live in that place, then the divine Holy Spirit comes, and he brings the victory and the resurrection power of the cross. He brings the life-binding power to bottle down and repress and suppress everything of the flesh and the enemy in the world, friends. It is a work of grace, nothing to do with me, all to do with him. And as we honor him this morning, and when we worship him and say, all I'm going to do is fall down and worship and thank him, then you're going to stand and see the deliverance of God. The new covenant is not you and God. It's Christ and God. The new covenant stands whether you break the law or not. And I'm going to deal with sin another time because a lot of people say, this is awesome. How are we going to deal with the sin issue? Come back in a few weeks' time. We'll deal with it very healthily from the scripture. But I'm going to say to you, just as Hebrews chapter 2, I think it's verse 3 says, what a great salvation. Hallelujah.